to our new ICT4D conference podcast series on Digital Tech for Peace. My name is Sonja Rützel from Catholic Relief Services, and I'm interviewing experts for you to explore digital trends in peace building. Introducing us into the world of peace tech is Lisa Schirk. Lisa is Professor of Peace Studies at the University of Notre Dame, the Kroc Institute for International Peace Studies. She's also a research fellow at the Tokyo-based Toda Peace Institute. Welcome, Lisa, and thank you for kicking us off. Thank you, Sonia. Lisa, to give our listeners more context, could you please tell us a little bit more about your work or research focus? My research focuses on two themes. First, I document how social media technology is increasing polarization and conflict in countries around the world. And I have a book out on that topic called Social Media Impacts on Conflict and Democracy. And then the second focus of my research is sort of documenting how peacebuilding and development organizations are using technology to build social cohesion. As part of that work, I identify these new peace tech platforms that might be useful to support peace and development. Thank you, Lisa. We will also share the web links in the podcast description. Could we first talk a little bit about terminology? So what do we mean by peace tech and what do we mean by social cohesion? Peace tech is part of the broader public interest technology sector. It's, it's also called the tech for good movement. And so there's a group of people around the world who are really focusing on tech for good specifically as it relates to peace building. And that emerging community of peace tech practitioners is already researching and building technology to work on sort of each of the three elements of social cohesion. So I can explain that a bit more. So peace tech contributes to social cohesion in three ways. The first one is individual agency. That's like how individuals are able, feel that they have the capacity and the agency to participate in society in ways that improve their lives. The second element of social cohesion is looking at how can peace tech build trusting relationships, or we call it horizontal cohesion within and between social groups. And then the third element is supporting public trust or vertical cohesion between the state and society, between citizens and public institutions. So you can kind of think as peace tech are different kinds of platforms that support individual agency, horizontal cohesion, and vertical cohesion. Thank you very much for this very clear definition. My first question would be, how has technology's role in peace and conflict evolved and what are the trends you're seeing? So it's really quite fascinating because if you think back on the beginning of tech platforms like Google and Facebook and Twitter, they were some of the first kind of corporations, actually, that set out to connect the world and to sort of improve society. And what's ironic is, of course, they've had the exact opposite impact than their stated mission. <laughs> You know, you had this sort of first wave in the early 2000s of initial optimism and, and really this belief that technology would connect the world. Then the second era is how they develop monetizing their sites. Because at first, these Stanford University graduates were just trying to create products that people would use. 
and they didn't really have any profit model at the beginning. But once they started to monetize their sites with an ad-based monetization structure, this actually ended up creating incentives that now are driving polarization. So we really see as the ad model, Advent, which was around 2007, 2008, that really has ended up causing most of the problems. The third era, and there's six eras I'm going to go through, the third era is a right around the Arab Spring in 2010, 2011, when people started realizing tech is connecting the world, but actually it's a lot of social movements that are using Facebook and Twitter in countries like Egypt and Turkey, actually across the world where social activists were using these tools as nonviolent ways of organizing and waging democracy wars against their government. So you had this, again, resurgence of hope, but then It was about 2013 when the fourth era started, and that was alarming reports of digital harms from Myanmar, the Philippines, and elsewhere, where local civil society groups were saying, hey, Facebook is being used to organize genocide or to undermine democracy. And that's when era five started. It was after the U.S. election in 2016, where this recognition of tech harms was growing. Then there was this growth of tech trust and safety infrastructure within the big tech companies. So Facebook, Twitter, Google, they started trying to hire ethicists and trying to hire people who might be able to anticipate how their products could be used or misused. And then the final era, the sixth era, is where we are now, where there's regulation happening, uh, but there's also uncertainty and this kind of possibility that maybe there will be new forms of technology that might improve democracy because they're designed differently or they have a different monetization model. So that evolution of kind of a lot of innocence and hope that they could be contributing to really just a wave of terrible stories from the New Zealand massacre that was live streamed on Facebook, you know, just literally around the world. Countries have been reporting how Facebook is tearing their societies apart and how Twitter is being misused and is a platform for hate. And so now we're trying to come back and look at how how do we design better tech? Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for putting peace tech in a historic context. I think uh, looking at it from today's lens, it makes it clearer to see how it all started and definitely also very uh, awakening situation. And it's probably easy to feel a lot of despair and very negative about things. So that's why I'm very looking forward to hear your insights on what are good examples, what can civil society do to help. Absolutely. I can tell you some stories about peace tech and how civil society groups are using technology to achieve a wide range, actually, of peace building goals. Let me start with a company that grew out of Kenya, and it was one of the earliest peace tech applications, and it's called Ushahidi. Ushahidi created an app where ordinary people could report early warning signs of potential violence related to elections. So this real-time information was then sent to peace teams who would go to the scene and de-escalate tensions. Basically, a person, an individual could report in their community, hey, there's some people out on the street, they're threatening each other. They could send that information in through this app on their phone, and real people would show up to defuse that violence. 
this is a good example of peace tech, which is like in a hybrid model where technology is assisting and it's complementary to what we say is analog intervention. So real world or physical interventions in communities. Kenya even today and actually across Africa as well as Asia are, are really where a lot of peace tech applications and platforms are being created. Let me tell you another story, though. There's a group that started partly out of Spain called Build Up, and it has been developing tech tools to identify patterns on social media, including looking at who is influencing and posting polarizing content. Build Up has then tested this intervention model in the United States to basically engage with people who are posting polarizing content and modeling communication skills that can assist in depolarization. So they're kind of directly trying to engage with difficult actors to change the tone on social media. The Carter Center, which is it's based out of former President Carter's work, is using technology to improve their conflict analysis of armed groups and, and armed group movements. And then they can take this information to then, you know, in the middle of a peace process to improve the real-time negotiations about places like Syria. So a lot of technology is actually very useful for conflict analysis. So really trying to understand better what is happening in different places. But then there's another kind of sector of peace tech, which is trying to promote sort of this communication coaching, promoting healthy expression of differences. So there's a couple of groups that have created chatbots. One is called the Angry Uncle Chatbot. It was after the 2016 election here in the United States. It was created to give people an opportunity to interact with a robot online that would pretend to be your angry uncle at like a family dinner. So you could talk about politics with this chatbot and kind of see how your own contributions to the conversation either helped your uncle listen to you and engage with you in a positive conversation, or, you know, if you were angry in response, the conversation would devolve. So the chatbot is really kind of coaching you in what is effective communication to de-escalate a difficult political conversation. Thank you so much for sharing such a wide array of peace tech tools and applications. I would like to ask you to talk a little bit more in detail about one of the data platforms so our listeners can gain more in-depth insight and see what's its impact. So maybe we can talk about Polis. Yeah, I sent you the link for Polis because this is the peace tech platform I'm the most excited about. The platform was designed really with the intention of helping polarized groups of people find where there is common ground between them. This platform has been used now by the Digital Minister of Taiwan to really help the Taiwanese public exchange ideas on around 30 different polarized topics in their society. And it has reached policy solutions in like 27 out of those 30 cases. So it has a really successful track record of large scale depolarization and finding mutually satisfying solutions that meet the needs of diverse stakeholders. So the Polis platform invites public input. But it's designed to prevent trolling or angry exchanges or attacks. 
So for example, in Taiwan during the pandemic, as with many societies, there was an issue with mask wearing and how much it was going to be required. The government opened a public conversation and then users can contribute an idea or upvote or downvote an idea that somebody else posts. But they can't respond directly to somebody else. So that's where the design of the platform prevents this angry exchange of ideas. Instead, sort of everybody's generating ideas that they think could solve the issue. The Taiwanese digital minister calls it listening at scale. So you start really listening to the ideas of thousands of people and you can start seeing where there is common ground because more and more people are upvoting certain ideas that meet their own interests. So you have this listening at scale and really the incentivization of finding common ground. This platform has been used now in a number of different contexts. Thank you so much for sharing um, more insights around Polis. It really sounds like a great success story. And I really love the phrase listening at scale. I think that's very powerful. We're already close to the end of our interview. So my final question to you is, is there any specific trend you're most excited about? What's interesting about some of the new startup companies like Polis or even Ushahidi is that these new startups were designed by people who understand peace building and they also have tech skills so they could design tech that really contributes to social cohesion. The big companies do not have people like that who are educated in terms of social cohesion or peace building, but How how Facebook and Twitter Twitter often work is that they see what is a successful affordance. And affordance is like a, a feature of the platform. Um, and once they see something that's successful, they either buy it or adopt it. So really, I think the next phase of PSTEC is getting some of the big platforms to start adopting some of the features or affordances that PSTEC enables. For example, Facebook could bring in some of the features of Polis to enable groups to talk about difficult, polarized topics while preventing some of the trolling and the negative hate speech and arguments that happen. And actually, Twitter is already testing a version of Polis on its own platforms. The scale issue here is, is part of the challenge because a lot of these peace tech platforms are startups, they're small don't have a lot of staff, you know, and, and not that many people in terms of around the world are using them. Whereas half of the world has a Facebook account. Twitter also widely used in countries around the world. So if we really want to scale peace building in terms of really having an impact on sort of democracy, human rights, and preventing violence around the world, we have to figure out how to engage these big platforms in the work that we're involved with, with social cohesion. Thank you so much for finding the time to chat with us and kick us off for this Digital Tools for Peace podcast series. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Wonderful to be here.